If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Daniel this morning. The book of Daniel, chapter 3. I've called out Acts so many times that it's kind of a little different to go somewhere else, but this morning we are going to the book of Daniel, chapter 3. What's that? The bulletin says Romans. I know. I fooled you again. I'm going to keep you on your toes. Daniel chapter 3. And I tell you, a funny thing happened on the way to print the bulletin. I knew that I was going to have a long week uh, this week and a lot to do this weekend. And so toward the beginning of the week, I went ahead and pre-printed the title page on my computer to, because that was fully the lesson I intended to preach. But this week, as I was talking to inmates at work, we just ended up talking all week long about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace and having uh, having faith and when it's not easy to have faith. And I just got to thinking how well that fits into what we've been talking about as far as living and walking in the fear of the Lord, that we're going to please man and, instead of God. And this is not a new temptation to uh, try to, I guess, combine our fear of our government and obeying our government and fear and obey the Lord at the same time. For example, Bob was a used car salesman and he was tempted to fudge the facts in order to make a sale. Uh, business people sometimes are uh, tempted to take deductions that they're not allowed to take to lower their tax bill. Uh, after all, they say nobody gets hurt and uh, the government uh, they get enough anyway, so I need my money more than the government does, and so we're tempted, if nobody's watching, to do things we ought not do. And, you know, I suppose that Christians from every generation uh, have made a statement similar to this. Have you ever heard it said it's harder to follow the Lord today than ever before? And I just wonder whether or not every generation maybe has made that comment, because there's never been a time when it's been easy to follow the Lord. And while today uh, things are more advanced, we have more technology, we uh, can push a button and talk to somebody in Brazil, it, it's amazing to, many, uh, to me how I can do a Facebook post and I get folks from the Philippines and, and all over the world watching it and, and saying that, uh, that they saw it and commenting on it. And, and it's not me that I'm fascinated about, it's just the technology that with the push of a button we can go worldwide and, and just such an opportunity to speak for the Lord. But even that being so, it's still difficult to do what the Lord wants us to do in, in times of pressure, when times are hard, when times are tough. And I suppose the easiest time, if we could put that in quotation marks, to follow the Lord would have been Adam and Eve when they were living on the earth right after creation and everything was very good. But don't you know when you read in Genesis, it doesn't take very long before man sinned, does it? Even in Genesis 3, Satan comes along and tempts Eve, and Adam and Eve eat the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat, and it started man, man down a spiral 
of sin through which Jesus Christ finally had to come and offer the ultimate sacrifice to pay for that sin. And we get seven chapters into the Bible, not very long at all, and the Lord is so fed up with and aggravated with man and his wickedness that he decides to destroy all of it except for Noah and his family. And they start over again. And it's not very long when Noah gets off the ark that he gets rip-roaring drunk. Remember that? So man gets a chance to start over, and he falls. And that is a theme throughout Scripture. A man follows God for a while, and then they sin, and they fall. And they repent, they come back to God, they do okay for a while, then they sin, they can fall, and then they fall. It's always been difficult to do the right thing. And the tension between the desire to do what's right versus the desire to do what's wrong, I call it clashing cultures. The culture of God and the culture of man. Those two cultures have been at war ever since the beginning of time, right? Ever since Genesis 3, when Satan came on the scene with his temptation, man and Satan have uh, kind of been at war against God, right? And, and rebelling against God. And as Christians, we fight that war internally that even though we've trusted Jesus as our Savior, and even though we have been saved, we still fight that flesh, don't we? We still have that temptation to do wrong. We still fight that temptation uh, to succumb to pressure to be part of the crowd, to succumb to pressure to save our lives if it gets to that point. There are Christians all over that are uh, being killed this morning uh, when it comes down to trusting the Lord. And I cut my lip shaving this morning, by the way, and it just may start bleeding again. So when I'm on three different blood thinners, it's kind of hard to make something quit bleeding. So if I... If I, if I start bleeding, y'all just kind of look funny, and I'll remember to, to say, hey, I'm bleeding again. But if you have your Bibles, Daniel chapter 3. I think maybe the best example in Scripture of this tension of doing what's right and trying to do follow God in spite of what the government tells you to do is Daniel chapter 3. And I've titled this lesson very simply, Faith in the Fiery Furnace. Having faith uh, when when things are going wrong, when things are going bad. And when we get to chapters 3 of uh, Daniel, you remember that Daniel is a book, uh, in chapter 1 of Daniel, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and several of the brightest, most talented uh, Jews were taken from Jerusalem, and they were brought over to Babylon to turn them into good little Babylonians. You remember in Daniel 1, Daniel and the leader of the, the eunuchs had a discussion about what they were going to eat. They wanted Daniel and the Jews to uh, eat uh, the same thing the Babylonians were eating. Scripture says in chapter 1 that Daniel purposed in his heart. He made up his mind that he wasn't going to defile himself and he wasn't going to go against God. So he tells the Babylonian leader, let us eat uh, our diet that God prescribes, and then let's see how we look in a given set of, 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 of days. And after 10 days, the Jewish boys looked better, and so they were allowed to continue to eat and do the things 
come to chapter 3, and King, well, in chapter 2, we got to say this, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and in that dream, he dreams about an image. And basically, the image that he dreams about are four different kingdoms that are going to come, and in the fourth kingdom, uh, a kingdom's going to be set up that's never going to fall, and, and those kingdoms was, were Babylon, uh, Assyria, I mean Babylon, Persia, Greece, and then Rome. In the days of Rome, the Lord, basically God's going to set up his kingdom, which happened in Acts chapter 2. And that hasn't been consummated yet, but it, it started in Acts chapter 2. So, uh, in Acts chapter, or in Daniel chapter 3, rather, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has built this huge image. Let's start reading. We'll read the first seven verses. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. Its width was 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather, to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the, the satraps, administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried out, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, in symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. This uh, image that Nebuchadnezzar sets up and th having the folks bow down to it really reminds me a lot of what we see in end times and the idea of if you don't take the mark of the beast wanting to fall down and worship uh, the beast. Uh, just This war between Satan and uh, God has been going on through eternity. And so Nebuchadnezzar goes to the plain of Shinar. Uh, the plain, plain of Shinar is the same place, or the uh, plain of Dura. It's the same place they built the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. There are two cities in, in, that are mentioned quite often in Scripture, Babylon and Jerusalem. Babylon is always a symbol for evil, symbol of wickedness, the Tower of Babel. <coughs> Uh, then you have the, the country, ba the city Babylon. And then when we get to end times, uh, the world government, the one world government is called Babylon. And so Babylon is always in contrast with Jerusalem. Jerusalem is God's godly city, right? So you have Babylon and uh, Jerusalem. Out on this plain where, they, where the, they built the Tower of Babel, now Nebuchadnezzar builds this 90 foot high, and nine-foot-wide image. Uh, and verse 2, you see who's invited. Everybody. And then verse 3, you see who attends. Everybody. You notice that list is the same? 
Uh, I don't think they had an option to RSVP. You know, sometimes when you're invited to a party and it says, please RSVP, and you can, uh, when they do that on the Outlook calendar, it says, uh, yes, no, maybe. You get to check the box. Well, there was no RSVP, and you were expected to come. And so these people, there they were. It's estimated some 300,000 people were on hand out here in this uh on this plane at this uh, worship service to King Nebuchadnezzar's image. And notice in verse 2 and 3, as well as in verse uh, 7, 5 and 7, uh, repetition. They all, the verses almost repeat each other. Understand that repetition is a common tool in Scripture. We saw it this morning. Remember in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Uh, quite often God repeats himself. You know why? Because we humans have a hard time getting it, right? So the Lord repeats himself. But I thought it was interesting to see the reputation that was here. Basically in verses 4 through 7, when the music starts, bow down. You ever played musical chairs where you run around the circle when the music stops, you sit down? Well, here it's musical chairs in reverse. When the music starts, bow down. When the music starts, you worship this beast. When the music starts, you basically, they knew who they were worshiping. They were worshiping Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, I'm the man, and let me show you my power and authority. Look what you all are doing. So that is what I call faith misplaced. Faith is being placed in an image and in Nebuchadnezzar. Now we get to what I call faith challenged in verses 8 to 12. In verse 8, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Now watch verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. So now their faith is bound to, is challenged. What we have here is animosity. Keep your finger here and go back to chapter 2 and look at verse 49. It says, Daniel petitioned the king, and he, the king Nebuchadnezzar sent Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were set up in high places to basically rule over these other Babylonians, these certain Chaldeans that we read about here in verse 8. Uh, these certain Chaldeans didn't like it. These certain Chaldeans, I can't prove it, but I wonder whether they put in Nebuchadnezzar's mind to build this image to set up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just like, you remember how later in chapter 6, certain Chaldeans set up Daniel? And call, so I just wonder whether this is a setup. I can't prove it. But anyway, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these certain Chaldeans must have known they wouldn't bow down because they were watching. 
And when they saw that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow down, they go tell the king. They make, it, make an accusation in front of them. And basically, what accusation means is they were tattletales. Y'all ever been around people like that? Uh, they, if everything is just not the way they think it ought to be, they go tell on you. Uh, there's a fine line between telling something that needs to be told and, and a tattletale. Here we have 300,000 people in this plain of, of Shinar, the plain of Dura, bowing down, and, and there's three people that don't. And they're the ones that are big news. 299,997 are bowing down. But the other three aren't. And so certain Chaldeans tell on them. Certain Chaldeans, and they come to, and don't you like the language here? Oh, king, live forever. You've made a decree. Now, when the music starts, everybody's supposed to bow down. And whoever doesn't fall down will be put into a fiery furnace. Verse 12, there are certain Jews. Now, most of them, they don't say hallelujah, king. 299,997 of them are bowing down. There are certain, there are certain Jews. And who, by the way, you made them. You did this to us. You set them in charge over us, and they're not bowing down. Can you see their language? They kind of put their hands on their, they're not bowing down. You know how the, the little language that tattletales use? I just hear that in my mind when I read this. What they're doing, they're challenging the faith, the faith, rather, of Nebuchadnezzar, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to Nebuchadnezzar, putting that doubt there. O king, these men have not paid due regard to you. They don't serve your gods or worship the image you set up. They make three accusations. King, they're disrespecting you. Number two, they don't serve your gods. And number three, they're not worshiping the image. Well, now Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego find their faith questioned. Nebuchadnezzar is going to question them. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you're ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you from my hands? Faith question. I think Nebuchadnezzar shows his loyalty to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by giving them another chance. You know, by rights, he could have taken them and thrown them right into the fiery furnace, right? But what Nebuchadnezzar says is, I want to make sure that you understand what the deal is. Don't you bet that drove those certain Chaldeans nuts? 
I can't believe Nebuchadnezzar is giving them another chance. The end of verse 15 summarizes the entire situation. Nebuchadnezzar asks a question. Who is that God who shall deliver you? Nebuchadnezzar is implying, I'm the man. It's me you're supposed to be worshiping. I have power over life or death, as far as you're concerned. Where is this God that's going to save you? And now we see faith reaffirmed. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that's the case, then our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. This paragraph to me contains one of the greatest statements in Scripture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were fully aware of God's commands to worship no other God than Yahweh. They understood that they were not to worship anybody except God. Whether that is an image that, that Nebuchadnezzar sets up, or whether it's Nebuchadnezzar themselves, they knew they weren't supposed to be it, or to do that. They understood that it is either die now by obeying God, or die later by disobeying God, and that later death will be eternal death. And you notice what they say in verse 16. It tells us that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego there really was no issue because the issue had already been settled. We are careful, we are not careful to answer thee. In other words, we don't even need to think about this. We've already made up our mind. Verse 17, our God can save us and deliver us from the fiery furnace and from out of your hand. I've got a question for you. How big is your God? Is your God big enough to fix whatever issues you're going through? Is your God big enough to see you through whatever circumstances that you find yourself in? How big is your God? These boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these young men, they say, our God can save us. He can do it. Our God is bigger than you, is what they really are saying, right? Nebuchadnezzar says, who's the God that can deliver you? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, our God. Nebuchadnezzar says, no, I'm the biggest guy on the block here. See, Nebuchadnezzar hasn't seen the living God. Nebuchadnezzar hasn't had much dealings yet. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's going to get a plate full before Daniel's over with. But then verse 18, our God can take care of us no matter what. Our God can deliver us, and I love verse 18. But if not, even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, king, we will not serve your God, nor will we worship the golden image that you've set up. Our God is big enough to save us. Our God can do what our God wants to do, but you know what? He can save us with this fiery furnace. He's bigger than you are. 
But even if he doesn't save us, we're still not bowing down. Don't get this wrong. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not doubting God here. They're not saying, well, God, maybe you can't save us. What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are doing is admitting the sovereignty of God. God can save us. He may choose not to. But he can save us, and whether he saves us or not, we won't fall down. Whatever circumstances in which you find yourself facing today, can I encourage you that your God is big enough to fix that and make it all go away? He can do it. There, there's nothing you're facing that he can't make go away. You know what? He might not do it. And here's where we need to get as Christians. We need to get this. God is on the throne. This fits in with our fearing the Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. We are not. I don't know what my future brings. I don't know what our country's future is like. Right now it doesn't look so hot. Right now... It doesn't look very positive. But you know what I'm convinced of? I'm convinced our God can fix it. And even if it doesn't, I'm sticking with him. No matter where he takes our country, no matter where he takes our world, no matter where he takes my life, I've surrendered myself to the sovereignty of God, saying, God, I'm on your side even if that means death. I hope you'll join me. Because that time might come. Faith reaffirmed. These young men realized they might die in action. But they were determined to remain faithful to God and faithful to themselves and what they believed in. That, my friend, is living in the center of God's will. God, I'm yours. You told me what I need to do. I'm just going to do it. Charles Stanley says, trust God and leave the consequences to him. When you obey God, those are God's consequences. When you disobey God, those are your consequences. Trust God. Walk with him. Now we see faith tested in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat up the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them in the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their outer garments. They were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Upon hearing 
that not only their refusal to obey his command, but the way they made a non-issue out of everything Nebuchadnezzar had said and commanded, that makes Nebuchadnezzar angry. Real angry. It says that his visage, his visage or his countenance changed. Have you ever seen somebody so mad that their countenance changes? Their face turns red? That vein on their forehead pops out? The veins in their necks pop out? They start, they start frowning? They put their... My mama did that once or twice when we were growing up. Did y'all's? Y'all know the, when their countenance changed? He was angry. He, he was more than mad. He was stomping mad, fighting mad. One of the commentators that I read said he threw a hissy fit. He was angry. And he says, heat the furnace seven times hotter. Nebuchadnezzar might have been hot, but his furnace was hotter. Amen? Heat that furnace seven times hotter. You know what? If he really wanted to make the punishment last, he should have made it cooler. Let him slow roast. You know? I read a quote that said, when a man acts in fury, he acts in folly. And that's what happened to the king. He acts in fury. He says, you heat every, make it so hot they can't stand it. Seven times hotter. And wrap all these clothes in them. The, he didn't, he wasn't taking compassion on them. He wanted plenty of fuel for the fire, amen? He wanted to make sure that fire lasted for a minute. So he wrapped them in everything he could think, their coats, their trousers, everything they, he could put them in, to put them in. The furnace was so hot, the only way they could put the man in it was to tie him up and swing him over into it. It looked like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's gooses were cooked. But were they? Let's look at verse 24. Faith vindicated. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair on their head was not singed, nor was their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language 
which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made in ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Nebuchadnezzar's astonishment was fivefold. First of all, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were loosed instead of tied. Remember, they tied them up. Inside the furnace, they're loose. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were walking around. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were unhurt. There was a fourth person in the furnace with them. And this fourth person was divine. There's a question among uh, commentators whether this was an angel or whether this was Jesus in what is called a Christophany, when Jesus makes appearances in the Old Testament. But, you know, Jesus is God, right? Jesus is pictured in the Old, time, in the Old Testament as the, the leader of the armies of Israel. That, that, a lot of, when you see that in the Old Testament, quite often that's Jesus. Those are called Christophanies. And I, I, believe that's, I believe Jesus Christ was right here. His pre-incarnate, before he became fleshly, he came to, before he came to earth as flesh, that, that's what we call the incarnation when he was born. I, I believe Jesus is making an appearance here. He's taking care of those that are following him, that are faithful to him. Either way, whether it's an angel or whether it's Jesus, God showed out, right? God showed up and God showed out in a big way. The most powerful king in the world at that time says, you know, maybe I'm not the man. He says, well, in verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar comes to the door of the furnace and notice Nebuchadnezzar's unharmed. The man that was seven times hotter, the guys that pitched Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace, they were burned up. Shad uh, Nebuchadnezzar's unharmed. He calls the young men out of the furnace in verse 27, Upon exiting the furnace, everybody could see, number one, they were unharmed. Number two, their clothes weren't even singed. Number three, they didn't even smell like fire. You notice the only thing that was burned were the ropes. Watch this. The ropes is the only thing in that furnace that belonged to the Babylonians. Amen? Amen. Everything that belonged to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, them, their clothes, they were untouched, unharmed, unsinged. God not only protected them, he protected their stuff. What a God! I ask you again, how big is your God? How big is my God? Verses 28 and 29, Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges the power of Yahweh. He praises these young men for having the courage to defy him and obey Yahweh. Nebuchadnezzar passes a law that forbids religious discrimination against Yahweh and those who follow him. And it's interesting, here in verse 29, the end of it, he says, if you don't, if you say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you'll be cut into pieces and their houses shall be made in ash heap. He must have liked to do that, because look back at chapter 2 and verse 5. But Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he wants his uh, magicians and his prophets to tell him what the dreams mean. 
He says, if you don't do that in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, my decision is firm. If you don't make known the dream to me, it's interpretation. You shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made of ash heap. Nebuchadnezzar must have liked to cut people in pieces and uh, make their stuff an ash heap. Because every time you turn around, he's threatening, threatening to do that to people. But you see faith vindicated. The faith of Shadrach, vindicate, vindicate means to be made right, to be proven right. They were, Nebuchadnezzar, those certain Jews proved to the certain Chaldeans that their God was bigger than the Chaldeans' God. And then finally in verse 30 we see faith rewarded. Verse 30, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You know those certain Chaldeans really must have been frustrated now. They're doing everything they can to stop Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And every time they try, it gets worse. They end up getting promoted instead of getting kicked out of the kingdom and letting the certain Chaldeans take over. And you know what? With a little bit of help from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar is able to answer the question he asked in verse 15. Remember the question he asked when we started this sermon? Who is the God that can deliver you? Who is the God that's bigger than me? Yahweh can. Nebuchadnezzar learned his lesson. Or has it? Now we won't go into chapter 4 next time, but read chapter 4. He gets, he get, Nebuchadnezzar is reintroduced to God again. So if you want to see what happens next, read chapter 4. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to ask the question, who is Lord? But he goes right along with this lesson, right? Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to determine who was the Lord in their life. Was God on the throne of their life or was somebody else on the throne of their life? You know what? There's always going to be a clash of culture. God and his kingdom, those people that make up God's kingdom, they, they dress different, they talk different, they act different. They love different. They just everything about them is different than their culture. That is always going to be. It's been that way from, from the beginning of time. And, and right now we're 2021. If the world exists to 5021, the culture of God, the kingdom of God, and the culture of the kingdom of Satan, they are going to clash. A true culture of God will never get along with the world. That's part of our problem. We've tried to too hard. We have to make up ahead of time how we're going to respond in the face of trials. Can I encourage you to be like Joshua? When on the banks of the Jordan River, when he was getting ready to lead the Israelites into captivity, Joshua says, you have a choice to make. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods on this side of the river but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Y'all, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I hope you'll join me in making that decision. I don't know where this world's headed. I don't know where this country's headed. I don't know where this day is headed. But I've determined in my heart to be like Daniel. And I hope you'll join me. We're not going to defy the living God.
God is all-powerful. He is also sovereign. He is in control. When I trust Jesus as my Savior and I make Jesus my Lord, I surrender myself to him. He's got the rights over my life to do what he wants to do with it, whatever he wants to do it. If you're a Christ follower, he has that same right over you. Jesus Christ has the right to interrupt you. Jesus has the right to change your plans because he is sovereign. Can I tell you we can learn from this that God will never make us face our trials alone? The trial might not go away. Whatever it is you're going through, I've said it and I'll continue to say it, we're in one of three places. We're either in the middle of hard times, we've just finished going through hard times, or we're just getting ready to start going through hard times. The bad news is we're going to have hard times. The good news is we don't have to face them alone. Amen? Amen. Just like Jesus was in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, He'll be with us. Finally, to God be the glory. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not the real winners of this confrontation. Were they? God was. Because at the end of it, even though Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were promoted and rewarded and they got the attaboys, the big winner is God because Nebuchadnezzar realizes this God's bigger than I am. That's going to take one more encounter with God to beat that into Nebuchadnezzar's head. By the way, Nebuchadnezzar, no wonder what happens. Nebuchadnezzar lives like an animal out in the... He goes crazy and loses his mind. It, the book of, first six chapters of the book of Daniel is exciting. It, it may make a lifetime movie, buddy. I mean, that's kind of the way that is. But here's our sermon in a sentence. In God we trust. Amen. No matter what. Is it time for you to make a stand this morning? Is there something God has been urging you to do that you've put off for whatever reason? Uh, I... We talked this week as well about the excuses of Moses. You know, when God called Moses to go to Egypt and Moses gives four excuses, we find out that God doesn't accept Moses' excuses. I got news for us. He don't accept ours either. Whatever is there that's keeping you, whatever excuse you are giving to not do whatever it is God's calling you to do, and I don't know where God's calling you next. It, it may be to trust Jesus as your Savior. Why not take a stand this morning? Admit you're a sinner. Understand that you can't save yourself, but Jesus' finished work on the cross can't. Confess to the Lord, I'm a sinner, Lord save me, and guess what? He'll save you. Maybe you've done that and you've wandered away. Maybe you've walked down your own path. And the Holy Spirit's been act after you to come back. Remember our Sunday school illustration. Maybe you find yourself in North Carolina. Isn't it time to get back to Tennessee? 
Why not do it today? Maybe it's to be baptized. Maybe you've never been baptized. Y'all, we got a baptistry. We know how to use it. What's keeping you from being baptized? What's keeping you from placing membership and being part of our faith family? What's keeping you from taking a stand, your next step? Why not say, Lord, I'm on your side, and let me show it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us this wonderful example of how God-fearing people should act when we are facing challenges from our culture. I pray you would give us all that strength and that same courage that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. And Father, it starts this morning with your Holy Spirit convicting us. And I just pray, Father, your Holy Spirit would convict us. Whatever it is, examine our heart. Peel our heart back like an onion to show us whatever it is that we need to make a stand for this morning then I pray that that Holy Spirit would convict us to make that stand. In Jesus' name, amen.